0: Right, hello. Um, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, hosting, as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined on this lovely Sunday evening by Paul. Good evening, Danny. It is beautiful where I am. And calm. Evening, guys. Um, yeah, it's a, a lovely, lovely Sunday. It's been a lovely weekend, weather-wise. Uh, I'd just like to reassure the Republicans listen to this podcast it's not been rearranged because of our paying our respects to uh the duke of edinburgh it's just that we're all busy through the week at the moment so some days work better for us <laughs> um if we crack straight on gents we've got a lot to talk about one very topical subject which we'll we'll come on to in a moment and i'm sure we've all got a lot to say on that but i'd like to start um proceedings by talking about norwich who are back up at the first time of asking um, we've mentioned them a few times on this podcast. The end of the season last year was, shall we say, disappointing, and uh, they went down with a bit of a whimper. But have come back up with a bang. I, I imagine they're going to get 100 points. They've certainly got a great opportunity to do so, despite losing um, to to Bournemouth yesterday. Um, so, welcome back to the Premier League, Norwich. Yeah, welcome back,
1: Norwich, and welcome back. Some, you know, common sense. I think. Uh, a lot of clubs would have moved on from Daniel Farker at the end of last season. And, you know, there have been people who said, well, he's been found out, as out of his depth, blah, 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 blah. Um, and Norwich didn't. They thought, no, we believe this guy's a good football manager and we're going to stick with him. Um, and it certainly worked out for him. Uh, so I think you have to give Norwich a, a lot of credit for that, um, for, for kind of sticking by their man, sticking by their convictions and sticking by the decision. And I think also you have to now say that, As good as that is, part of... When Norwich came up under Daniel Falker, you know, two seasons ago, as it were, um, I think they came up by surprise, and they made a conscious decision, let's take the Premier League money, let's not go and spend stupidly, and if we do get relegated, we'll strengthen, we'll come back. They kept a few of their key players, um, you know, the likes of uh, Campwell and the the young right-back whose name, Aarons, Max Aarons, whose name was temporarily escaping me. Wendy as well. Yeah, uh, Wendy, uh, a good point, Dan. I think Arsenal were sniffing around him in January. They kept some of their best players together. They've come back up. But now they're back up, and there's two lots of Premier League money to tap into. Norwich need to make a bit more of an effort in the transfer market. Not with going and doing an Aston Villa or a Fulham and buying 12, 13 players, but (laughs) of identifying, you know, two or three who can come in and give that side that bit of ballast that it's going to need in the Premier League next year. Certainly at the back, they gave away far too many cheap goals last time, um, but also probably a, another midfield player and someone alongside puki at the top end of the pitch who's going to get them goals. And I think if they go and do that, spend not fortunes, spend £50 million on three players, something like that, uh, which I know saying £50 is not fortunes, might, might lead us into the next conversation <laughs> in the Super League. But, um, you, you know, I, I think, well done, Norwich. But now, you've got to make a fist to the Premier League this time.
2: Yeah, I think... I think that's fair enough, Paul. I think, yeah, congratulations, obviously, to Norwich. And, and as you say, they've sort of done it in a really, really good professional way. You know, they haven't hit the panic button and done what a lot of clubs would do and, and have done. And there's there's many examples of clubs who've, who've, who've floundered once they've been relegated. But, you know, Norwich seem to have just really kept the heads um, and importantly, kept kept the players and kept the manager, as you've said, and sort of kept that uh continuity. Um So it's just, like I say, it is a, a, a victory for perhaps uh, not maybe not taking the, the fashionable and the the brasher route if you like of trying to spend your way out um they've just kind of got the heads down reorganized themselves and gone at it again and you know i think they had a slowish start didn't they but then once they sort of got to the more or less once they got to the top of the league they've pretty much stayed there i think yeah. um but you know as you say getting promoted's great but it's it's what you do with that promotion that matters um they've obviously got the experience of being up the season before last so you you'd hope that you know norwich are a well run club right so i'm sure there's been many many discussions around okay what did we get wrong last time what do we need to do right this time so you know you'd hope that that this summer um they'll, they'll, they'll sort of rectify some of those things you know as you as you've pointed out um in terms of you know investment and recruitment um so let's let's see what they do with it but you know they're a good team to have in the Premier League you know they are entertaining they have got some good players they did generally play good football they certainly do under the current manager so um, they're definitely, you know, of, of the teams that come up. They're the one of the teams I think generally most people like having them around the Premier League because so I think they bring they bring something extra, um, and they don't sort of play, you know, attritional, dull football or safety first or whatever. So they actually try and play the game um, as I think we all like to see it played. So yeah, well, well played to them,
1: Dan. Before we move on to the very important subject of Europe and the Super League, I'm going to spring A trivia quiz on you both, which I did not prepare you for so that you couldn't do any revision. (laughs) Oh, okay. We talked, didn't we, the last two weeks ago, the last time we recorded, we talked about uh, has there ever been an occasion where all three relegated teams bounced straight back? Um, Because obviously Bournemouth are on a decent run or or were until the other day back in the playoff places. Norwich are now up. It looks very much like Watford are going to come up with them. It's never happened. There's never been an occasion where all three have bounced back in in one season. But there have been four occasions when two have. So we're going to do a little trivia game. The first time it happened was 93-94. Two teams who were relegated from the first ever Premier League bounced straight back. I'm going to go to Khan first. Two clubs, Khan bounced straight back in 93-94.
2: Oh, crikey. (laughs) Trying to remember who was still playing in the Premier League back then. Um, I'll go for
0: Ipswich and Charlton Dan Sheffield United and Leicester City I, I don't think Leicester I think Leicester might be a poor guess actually there's zero points there. <laughs> it was it was Crystal Palace <laughs> and Nottingham
1: Forest. Well, relegated um, in the first Premier League season, bounced straight back at the first time of asking.
0: Well, it, inevitably, I, I should have really guessed Crystal Palace because they they were a big fan of the yo yo until until, <laughs> yeah, quite recently, until recent actually. times.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, indeed. So the second time was ninety seven, ninety eight. Two teams relegated in ninety six, ninety seven, bounced straight back in 97-98. seven, ninety eight. I'll go Dan first.
0: Uh, middlesbrough and uh, Ipswich con
2: uh, oh god um I'll go i I might go middlesbrough as
1: well and I'll go Watford. Okay, so you both got Middlesbrough right. It was Middlesbrough. It was Nottingham Forest again. The one. <laughs> there's a <pattern> um, here.
0: <laughs>
1: so there's a pattern emerging. But yeah, you've you both got Middlesbrough. So we're on one each. Okay, the third time it happened, there was a bit of a gap then. It didn't happen again till 06-07. So two teams who went down in 05-06 who bounced back in 06-07. Con
2: first. Um... I'm not sure if they've been promoted at this point. So but but I'm I'm leaning towards maybe possibly Cardiff. But I feel it might be a bit too early for their entrance into the Premier League. But I'll I'll go I'll go Cardiff. And then maybe Birmingham, maybe? They were around the Premier League, around the noughties, I think. Did they?
0: I, I okay, don't know. So- Birmingham and Cardiff for Karn. Dan? Um, I'm not going to say Nottingham Forest, although I'm very tempted. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll go for the other other team, uh, West Brom and Crystal Palace.
1: It was Birmingham, well done Karn, and the other one was Sunderland. That was after the season when they'd gone down with one of the lowest points totals and, and they came straight back.
0: I remember um, Ian Dowie getting Crystal, Crystal Palace relegated, if I remember rightly, in 2005, when Andy Johnson yeah. used to score quite a lot of goals for them.
1: So Sunderland's promotion, I think that was the Roy Keane promotion, actually. So it's 2-1 to Con. We've got one round left to play. In 08-09, two teams went down from the Premier League who then bounced straight back in 09-10. Uh, this is the last uh, time it happened, which means we haven't even had two bounce back in the same season since 2010 so we're, we're going to get at least two this year which just gives some context but who were the two in 08 uh, in 09 10 dan uh,
0: uh sunderland the crystal palace con um...
2: let me think <laughs> Um, trying to
0: Dan think. can edit down the thinking time. I think I think I might said I, I might do a Kim Young Gun and edit out the parts where I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like like when like when it looked like they were going to draw one-one with Brazil. Yeah.
2: Um, I'll go. I'm going to go rogue. I'll go Mi- Middlesbrough and
1: Fulham. It was Newcastle United, their first relegation, and West Brom. Oh, I can't believe I didn't mention West Brom at least once. <laughs> <laughs> so the winner, the winner is Corn by a relatively meagre two points to one. <laughs> but there you go. So we've answered, we've answered the homework that we set ourselves two weeks ago, Dan, and we can now move on to the meat of today's agenda.
0: Well, the the, the race right honourable gentleman has proper stitched me up there. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. That although it just shows how bad my memory is these days. Can uh, we not have Swindon in there somewhere? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah they just stuff.
2: went and never came back. Yeah, yeah, Swindon yeah. never came back.
0: Swindon, Swindon are a yo-yo club, but between League <laughs> One and League yeah, Two, yeah. <laughs> they went and kept on going. Um, yeah, the the the, the meat and, and bones of of this um this week's podcast, I suspect, um, the European Super League um it, it's coming to a head. This has been talked about since I was in school. I, I remember early conversations about this when I was like getting towards the end of school so like year 2000 so the turn of the millennium um it does look as though um the 18th of april 2021 is going to be a a very significant um part of of this discussion and I, i'm going to go last because i suspect my views might not marry up to to yours to unilaterally anyway um I know, Paul, you've just been saying that Gary Neville's head's about to fall off on, on Sky Sports. And don't get me wrong, I would happily watch that. But I've got the uh, um, the, the FA Cup semi-final on in the background. So, um, European Super League, let's go. So,
1: I think there's two things to talk about, Dan, here. One is, this started as UEFA's plan for a revamped Champions League. Yet another revamped Champions League. Which was an attempt... And was always badged as an attempt to head off the latest breakaway attempt for a super league. So the the, the first UEFA meeting was on Friday, where the, the reports were that there was sort of a broad sense of agreement about this new 36-team super league, um, sorry, Champions League. That's basically a super league by another name, where you play in divisions and there's you play 10 group games, and then you go through to a quarter final. Um, There would be two spots reserved under that model for teams that haven't even qualified for the Champions League, but are just big clubs. Um, And so the top two teams every year who haven't qualified for the Champions League, but are highest ranked in UEFA's coefficient system, would have been automatically qualified for this new revamped 36 team um, Super League by another name. The meeting on Thursday or Friday last week seemed to have gone relatively well. UEFA made the announcement on Friday night that they were looking to move towards this model from next season, um, and that it had last for at least 10 years. Uh, and then, sort of, within the last couple of hours, really, news has broken that 12 clubs are ready to break away and support a new European Super League. Those 12 are Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspur Barcelona Real Madrid Atletico Madrid Inter Milan AC Milan and Juventus so basically the the six big English clubs and the three biggest clubs in, it, in Italy and the three biggest clubs in Spain are essentially saying we're not happy we don't think UEFA's proposals go far enough we've got to protect our commercial interests and this is all about money let's let's get that out front and center and we're going to break away Um, we're sitting here now recording at about 6.30, I believe there's a statement um, scheduled to be made later this evening around 9.30 from the six English clubs that are involved. Um, I think, you know, the reaction has been pretty explosive. Uh, Gary Neville was actually saying on Sky half an hour ago, They, they, you know, the, the lawyers and the PR people will be rewriting that statement as we speak because they'll have seen the sort of, reaction that's that's come from it um i I agree with you dan that this is not a new idea it's been kicking around forever and ever it's essentially about the big clubs wanting to protect their interest ever more relevant given the um you know the the losses in income that they've had in recent years the last year because of, of covid and not having fans in the stands um we're on for some sort of headline collision between UEFA and the clubs. It's probably been coming for 25 years and it feels as though it's imminent in the, in the next few days. So it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see what happens from here.
2: Yeah. And, and look, you know, we, we, we've spoken about this, um, you know, on this podcast a a few times before, and, you know, there was, um, uh, you know, a, a very good article in our in our one of our favored publications um the athletic back in uh, back in around january time that went through all of this and gave that you know the background and the context that paul's very ably summarized there into it just a couple of minutes so you don't need to read the article now anyone is listening but um but uh, you know and what's <laughs> But um, so, yeah, it's not it's not a, a shock. And like like Dan says, it's something that's been talked about, you know, since we were, were kids. But it, it has as as the game has commercialized over that sort of time period. I'll spare our blushes without going into just how many decades it is since we were kids. But um, but, uh, you know, as, as the game has become, you know, more driven by 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 money in terms of, you know, the types of owners now that run clubs and then the type of people they employ in turn to then run their clubs. They are, you know, commercial organizations now. You know, we all we all know that that's not a news or, or shock to anyone. Um, and yeah, you know, as as Paul's saying, it's it's about sort of that that protection of of, of interests. I think the, the the one bit that I feel is, and I haven't seen all of the, uh, I've seen a bit of the reaction as the story's broken this afternoon, and 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 some of the, the opinions of you know some of the pundits on. On Sky and so on but it it feels like they're talking about it as if this league is a replacement Mm -hmm. of the standard bread and butter league and it's not it's you know as Paul was saying it's it's about essentially a replacement of the Champions League um, in a slightly different format with a specific group of clubs where the clubs of course then get the power to control how and who and when and so on and so forth Um, so it doesn't you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you know that the, the clubs, the clubs aren't saying we want to leave the Premier League or leave Serie A um, or leave La Liga that, that I'm aware of. Now, of course, people might say, "Well, this was just the beginning," and of course, if we allow them to do this, that may happen in future, and, and that's fair enough. That's sort of on the table as a possibility, but that's not part of the current proposal. The clubs, you know, it's a it's a sort of have your cake and eat it situation from the clubs where they say we still want to play in our formally recognised, you know, lucrative domestic leagues or mostly lucrative domestic leagues but we also want this other really really lucrative league that's being you know it's being sort of funded by you know jp morgan i think you know one of the sort of big you know huge investment banks um who are, who are essentially uh you know sort of putting the, the pot on the table um that obviously like say then then the clubs themselves can can control but i i don't know if that's maybe been missed a little bit by some of the initial reaction as if like, as if the champions league is some charitable exercise that the clubs do. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, well, no, you know, the only reason they play in the champions league is because it's the richest competition that exists at the moment. And now the saying is we've got a proposal for a richer competition. So I, I do feel like there's maybe a bit of a strange narrative being formed by, by some of these people. Um, I could although, understand if although Khan in what, the last, in the last hour, the, UEFA and the leagues have
1: put out a statement saying that any clubs who have signed up to the Super League would be prevented from continuing to play in any other UEFA competitions. And that includes
2: the domestic leagues of yes. which they are part. So yeah, look, now again again
1: that's, ca- again, that's, again, that's part of the battle, had, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's the card that they've always, you know, that they've always been 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 playing. Because yeah. I believe the current isn't it, or well, at least in the Premier League at least, you have to ask for permission which obviously they won't get based on what we've seen so far yeah. so there, there's all sorts of uh yeah things like that that are gonna then are gonna come up but from the from the club's perspective at least they're they're saying you know they're not saying we want to leave your league to play in this they're saying we've found a, a more lucrative alternative to the champions league and we want to play in that that's what they're saying um but i do yeah i do feel like that's perhaps been been missed a little bit because um you know, people watch the Champions League because it's the best clubs in Europe pitting themselves against the best clubs in Europe. Now, this Super League, they could say, "Well, are we doing anything drastically different?" Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Does does it matter if it's UEFA dishing out the trophy at the end of it, or or another governing body? I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Is is it worth more? I, I don't know. Um, so I I have mixed feelings on it. To be honest, there is a, it does feel like there's an air of inevitability to it. Um, I think a lot of people in football generally, there's, a, there's always a thing with football and, you know, we see this with VR, There's a, a, they, people like things the way they are and the way they were when they grew up. So I think there's an element, you know, I don't think football is great at embracing change, um, particularly drastic change. So I think this is where, you know, the views of some of the pundits there you know, we're talking about, you know, people like, you know, Gary Neville and Roy Keane as the examples who were on Sky. Obviously, we're talking about competitions they've played in and, and won. So I guess they've got a bit more of an emotional attachment to them. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, if it's a competition with, you know, a bunch of the best teams in Europe in and then someone wins a trophy for winning the most games out of it. If, what What is there a fundamental difference? Really? Like may, maybe not that much. I don't know. Um but yeah, maybe this is time to bring Dan in, because I know you've got some views on this as well.
0: Well, I, I think, well, well, first of all, um, I'm just getting like, word-for-word quote on what Gary Neville has just said. Now, I'm I'm not a scouser, I'm not from Liverpool, I live very near Liverpool, but that's beside the point. But Gary Neville has said, and I quote, You go on the streets of Liverpool, I mean, I don't have a great relationship with them at all. I don't li- like them, they don't like me. I can definitely confirm the latter part is true. But do you know one thing I always thought about them? They were honest. They had integrity. They would look after their people. They'd look after their own. That's gone. Forget that. What? What? What is the fact that the club, which is not owned by Scousers or Liverpool fans, are owned by an American hedge fund? Yeah. What, what has that got to do with yeah. anything? That is just utter, utter tripe. I'll, I'll I'll edit myself to save myself from editing myself later. Um, <laughs> you, you know, come, come on, we, we need to be sensible about this. Now, it looks to me, I think I think you're right, Dan. I think I think you've got to divorce the actions of the club from the city of Liverpool and the fans, yeah, exactly. and the fans of Liverpool. Now, in in a group of of ten people, I, I haven't really spoken about this too much, but uh, I, I'm not completely opposed to the idea. I want to hear it out. I want to know how this is going to work. Is it a viable alternative to the Champions League? What's so wrong with the Champions League revamp, which I don't like, by the way? That means that we need to break away. You know, I, I want to see the answers to the questions before I make my mind up on this. Obviously, as Paul alluded to straight away, it's all about one thing and one thing only: money. It, it's as simple as that. But, but from, my, from my point of view, I mean, I, I love the way the Champions League is now. You know, I like the current format. They've nailed the format down. Yeah, we have a competitive group stage, and then we have knockouts. Where yeah, obviously there's there's country protection at first, and then you know you can we've already got one all English semi final, haven't we? You know, like I, I like the format, so I'm going to take some convincing. And, and as as can's already alluded to, it's difficult to get people to buy into big changes. Now, I bought into a, a, the big, the recent big change of VAR and I want my money back. In fact, I, w- I don't want my money back. I want heads to roll. You, you know, so I, I am open to change. But f- for me, there needs to be justification about why it's changing. And I don't see the big rush to get – is it a 36-team competition? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't see the, the rush to, to – to, I, I don't want to play too much football because I already think we play too much football. And I think I think the idea,
1: Dan, and look, we had a conversation, didn't we, earlier in the year, a really interesting one about, you know, I quite liked the, the quarterfinal, semifinal, final over a fortnight format that we were forced into last year on, on the Champions League because of COVID. And we had quite an interesting back and forth about, is that preferable to the two-legged approach? And, you know, there are kind of arguments on both sides of that. I don't think I was in the majority, but I quite liked the model last year. But I, I agree generally... I don't think there's a lot wrong with the current Champions League format. Um, I, and I think the one thing, actually, that everybody, all football fans, would probably agree uh, about the Champions League is the one thing we don't want is more group games. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember the. The double group stage nonsense that we had in the early '90s, <laughs> where you had to play 12 games before you got to, you know, to any sort of knockout football, and it, it was just so staid and, and dull and repetitive. Um, and I, I think, you know, six group games is the absolute maximum. To be honest, if I was designing it with a complete, you know, not looking at money and not looking about, you know, making sure there's guaranteed revenues, etc., I would like to go back to an old European Cup stage where we, we play knockouts from the start and the no oh, so Oh So would I. But, 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 but that's not on the table and that's never going to be on the table. The current format I think strikes a balance quite nicely and ever since it got rid of the second group stage and replaced it with the last 16, I think the tournament has worked quite well. Agreed. Um, and, and to go to an idea where you play 10 games, I, I mean, the, their, their argument will be, well, it's only two more games than you play now because you currently play six group games and two games in the last 16 We're getting rid of the last 16. We're going back to the first knockout stage being the quarterfinal. So, in actual fact, you'll have only played two more games before the quarterfinal stage than you play currently. I I accept that, but you'll be playing four more matches in this kind of league format where there's the potential for dead rubber games, where there's the potential for teams to start rotating because they've won their first five games and they can... You you know what I mean, one thing I like about the shortness of the, of the brevity of the group format currently um, is that it's really difficult to do too much resting of, of players. I remember Arsene Wenger doing it in one of his last years at, at Arsenal, tried to rest players at home to Olympiakos. Um, in the group stage and got beat through two and then ended up having to play his, his full eleven the rest of the group um, and it just doesn't work. It's you know the only time you ever get a chance for a team to, to rest players in the, in the Champions League these days is group game six. Um, I, I'm nervous about a situation where which creates group games eight, nine and ten being played by backup players. We already see that in the Thursday Cup and it's not a particularly edifying sight for anybody. So. Um, you know that that's my big concern about the, the new format that UEFA are proposing. I think on the my biggest problem with the league idea, the breakaway league idea, is just that it's a closed shop. Why, like, if if it was just a repl- if they're just saying, well, we've got a big sponsor who's going to put up a fortune and wants a better format than the Champions League, and we've come up with this. I think I could live with it but the, it, there needs to be some way for clubs who are not in on day one to eventually be in otherwise what it is is a closed shop and it's getting away from the idea that football is the ultimate you know meritocracy in terms of what happens on the pitch you can have all the big wages and all the big transfer fees you want but you know the little team can still beat the big team and once you've taken that away I think we we
0: lose something that's that's integral to the game. It's going down the NFL route of franchising effectively.
1: Yeah, and and again, the the NFL model works for them and and I'm a big fan and I think it it works quite well although they're adding more games for more money as well. So, you know, this is not a problem that's that's isolated to football. Um but it's a completely different model with completely different cultural reasons and historical reasons why that's in play. And I just, that's the nervousness I have about Super League. If there's still routes for teams to get into it and out of it, I think I'd be more relaxed, albeit I still think ultimately what we're doing here is trying to fix things that aren't broken because everybody wants more money. And I say everybody wants more money, a particular group. Who have a lot of power, a lot of influence, a lot of supporters worldwide um,
0: want more money. Just before I hand over to Khan, I've also thought of something, Paul, that can unite football fans. Let's not bother with the Europa League.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, completely.
0: Yeah, let's just like like you said in August. Let's just agree Sevilla have won it.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: although at this stage, Dan, I'm less keen on just
1: agreeing that Unai Emery's won it.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I rather hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Sorry, can't over to you. No, no, it's fine. I, I mean, I think Paul's covered it really well. I think um, the, the the point you've made around the um, the closed shop element that that's where yeah, I think I would have wouldn't be comfortable with that side of it because, and that's, you know, obviously clearly there to protect, you know, exactly as you've said, those, those, those top, top few clubs is uh, financial interests um, to make sure that if there's money going around, they're always getting it right. That's, that's what it's, it's, it's inherently designed to do that. Um, And I think, you know, football is, is sort of built on pyramids, you know, Uh, that's the structure of, of the game sort of largely throughout the world um and i think that's where obviously and i think that's perhaps where some of this opposition is clearly coming from and i would sort of agree with that uh side of it um the fundamentals of like i say who runs the competition and how much money and whatever it's like i don't drastically care that much to be honest but the closed shop element um is certainly something to feel uncomfortable about um and i think yeah that that's that's something that there should you know rightfully be be sort of opposition to because it's uh like I say, it's it's the big clubs just wanting to to have their cake and eat it in that respect. Um, but you know, I'm not going to be uh, too sorry about you know the, the Champions League. As I've said, is it exists because it's currently gives um, you know the the big clubs in Europe the the most money. This is an alternative to that. And in that general principle, that doesn't affect me me greatly. I think, like I say, it's for more nostalgic reasons that I think people have there. The opposition for that, rather than than anything else. If it was a replacement for the main league, that would be completely different. But as it stands, that that's not on the table as a proposal.
0: So we have a lot of sabre rattling about um, about the the domestic league. Eh, it's not right. It's not fair. Well, that that may or may not be the case, but it, it's not designed to replace the the, the Premier. And then you, you're going to get the Premier League as well as you were for, and you'll get La Liga and and all of those. Organizations like their their protection mechanisms are going to kick in. They're going to be oh no, because because if if you say to to Liverpool or United or whoever you can go and play in this league, where does it stop when the next league gets proposed? Is probably yeah. what what the, 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 it's it's protectionism kicking in, and I, I can kind of understand that. But like, where do we go from here? How is this going to be resolved? Because UEFA can put the fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 not listening as much as they'd like, and and they do like to do that. And the, the same goes to the, 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 the affected leagues. But there's a desire oh, what, here from these clubs to do something. So w- where do we go from here? How, how is this resolved? Because it does seem as though the Champions League revamp, which was to head off this problem, yeah. has, has, is insufficient as far as those clubs are concerned. Yeah, and I think we've never got this far before, Dan. I should say that.
1: Yeah, we haven't. This is this is definitely but new ground. This is the furthest we've got. But but I do remember around 2010, 2011, when when Ivan Gazidis was was running Arsenal, uh, at one of the last rounds of Champions League renegotiation. If you remember, there was a time when third and fourth both had to go through a qualifying round mm-hmm. from from England, and they changed the rules and actually third got in automatically, and only fourth had to play that qualifying round and that was part of a sop to the big clubs and what had happened is UEFA had proposed some um, reform to the Champions League it didn't go far enough because and his cronies went off and had a meeting in Switzerland somewhere is normally where they have these meetings Um, and then uh, UEFA came back to the table with an offer that was more amenable to the big clubs I suspect that that's what the big clubs are looking for here what they're saying is, we've looked at your 36 team plan and it isn't protectionist enough. Therefore, we are putting it out there that we are actively in talks with a sponsor about an alternative as an attempt to get UEFA back to the negotiating table. I might be wrong, Dan, but my inclination is the 36 team idea that UEFA were talking up on Friday afternoon and Saturday morning as a concept is now dead on arrival. And I think UEFA will need to go back to the drawing board quite drastically on some elements of that proposal to try and get these clubs back in the, in the
0: tent. If, if I can just jump in a second, uh, sorry, Carl. Um, if I remember correctly, wasn't this meant to be ratified a few weeks ago and then a, quote, image rights issue, unquote, appear, a, appeared and it kind of just got waved down the agenda? I seem to remember that before Easter.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been put off. This this sort of crunch meeting that, that then took place at the end of last week has been put off a couple of times, I think, to try and get to a point where, you know, you, you, you never it – it's a Theresa May thing, and I, I hate to make this political, but Theresa May kept putting off the meaningful vote on the <laughs> Brexit team. <laughs> because she knew she wasn't going to win it. And that's what UEFA have basically done here. They've kept putting off the vote (laughs) because they knew they weren't going to win it. But if you remember, eventually, even Theresa May had to come to Parliament and say, OK, we're going to have to vote on this thing. And I think that's the point where UEFA got to. Like, if we want this in place for next season, we need to vote now, chaps. Now's the kind of critical moment. And the the vote was supposed to take place on Monday. I would be surprised now if they push that vote tomorrow tomorrow. I think that what is likely is another revisal, uh, revision of proposals. What that might
0: mean in the short term, again, I'm speculating, I don't
1: know is that we might end up with another season of the current format before there's any changes.
0: If we're going down the political route, Paul, are we then going to get you away for submitting the exact same proposal, but with just a few letters changed somewhere? <laughs> 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 well, again, and, and uh, you know, you mentioned the political
1: route. It, it is worth saying that the UK government has made a statement on this today. Uh, the Culture Secretary, um, Oliver Dowden, has uh, made a statement criticising the club's uh, associated with the breakaway, so it, th- this does have the uh, capacity to go political.
0: Well, the, the right honourable gentleman might want to concentrate on getting me back inside a football or rugby stadium time soon before I occur. What he thinks about the Champions League reformating? Uh, sorry, there Cam. are a few. There are a few people in there in the Wembley at the moment. Dan. Yes, there are. Yeah, being treated to a ball fest between Leicester and Southampton.
2: <laughs> yeah, can see lots of sideways passing. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, the, the only other sort of amusing thing as well. Um, I, I don't know if there's much left for us to say at the moment with the with the information we've got. But um, it was just interesting how, and obviously it was it was the pundits large largely speaking rather than necessarily the platforms. But it's funny seeing you know people on uh, Sky Sports criticising this. Whereas if it does go ahead, they'll be the first in line to try and get the right <laughs> <You> show <it>. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, it's, it's a slight irony there, seeing uh, seeing them getting all uh, stroppy about it, whereas it will be BT and Sky will be bidding against each other for the rights to show it. If it does go ahead, you can bet. You know, you can bet. That's the one certainty
0: that you can be sure of. Yeah, I, I think I think I think Sky will suddenly drop their uh, stance against it, and if they can get it, try and get some European football back off BT, because they, they... I think
1: it's it's an interesting topic, and we might you know yeah, once we've heard what happens next week, we might come back to it. But the conversation we've had before about the likes of Amazon getting involved in image rights, you know, the, yeah. it, this sounds like something that is right up their street. It's a kind mm. of you know disruptor of the market, brand new idea, brand new concept um you know watch the european super league live with your amazon prime i mean you know uh, in terms of in terms of ways for them to make that big play in the
0: market it would not be a bad uh, a, a bad idea yeah Net- netflix original barcelona against real madrid the el clasico of the wild west league or whatever it gets called <laughs> um it, yeah that that is a, a completely unthought of point and it's a very very prescient one and a very very good one because the, the streaming companies, the Amazons of the world, are coming for the market next time. Um, we just don't know how much. But the more opportunities they have to get their fingers into the market, the more likely they are to completely prise themselves in and rip everything wide open when the next league negotiations come round. I mean, it, it's all hypothetical, but yeah, completely that is an ex- exactly what the likes of Amazon are looking for. But it, it, if that happens, can we just make a law that we'd have to ban Robbie Savage and Steve McMahon and man from TV permanently?
1: Oh, Manaman did
0: our game on Thursday night and he is just so irritating. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you go got to end your sentence with uh, irritating. You have to yeah. emphasise the end of your sentence, Paul, if you want to <laughs> have a Manaman parlance. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think one thing we can unite football fans on as well um, is that Steve McManaman is a prized pranic. But yeah, um, w- we'll be coming back to this, I imagine, um, b- because at ha- half nine tonight, so what, two and a half hours, um, the clubs proposing a breakaway have got a bit of damaged reputation already to, to kind of sort out, you know, like the, the, to protect themselves and I, I just don't know. I don't know which way this is going to go because the clubs aren't going to meekly bow their heads and just say, "Oh well, never mind." And and this kind of happened. I can't remember whether it was late last year or early this year when, um, like the the, the Premier League voting came along. If you remember. Yeah, I mean, there was it, similar uproar and statements being released by all parties, and I, I believe that the, the Right Honourable Gentleman, the Culture Secretary, might have stuck his oar in on that as well. Yeah, it probably sounds
1: sounds the sort of thing he'd be all over but a bit of chance to get in the headlines, um, because frankly, otherwise, who is Oliver <laughs> Um But uh, no, it's it's a good point, Dan. Um, while we haven't been down this road this far before, with uh, with UEFA competitions we all remember the the conversations we were having earlier in the year about the you know changes that the, the big six wanted to make in the premier league that again had no chance in reality of getting voted through but it, it, it it's it's the same thing in a different guise isn't it really it's about the big clubs wanting to protect their interests um and and to say that okay and to a certain extent it is true that's the problem with it that as much as Arsenal are awful at the moment and we're ninth in the Premier League, I guarantee you Sky get more eyes on an Arsenal game than BT will get on this semi-final. Yeah, definitely. Arsenal-Fulham today will have had more viewers than Leicester-Southampton in a semi-final in the FA Cup. And that's why these clubs have that power because they know that. <laughs> they know that, you know, it doesn't matter if Arsenal are rubbish and they're in ninth. And Liverpool had them a few years when they were rubbish and they were in ninth and eighth and whatever. few years? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter Dan you know that they, they will still they've got huge fan bases in this country and they have got huge fan bases globally and so if you can put an Arsenal game on the tally you will get eyeballs um, and you know they, it, it's sad that that's kind of where we are I remember the days when FA Cup semi-finals were massive and every football fan watched them uh, partly because there was far less football on the TV in those days so you had you had this opportunity to watch the FA Cup semi-finals everybody got around the tally and watched um, Some memorable games his... as well. Indeed, you know. Mid- Middlesbrough you against
0: Chesterfield. Yeah,
1: that was the one I was going to. Who can forget Middlesbrough Chesterfield? If you put that on as an FA Cup semi final now, about eight people will watch it um, <laughs> outside of Middlesbrough <laughs> and Chesterfield, obviously. Uh, so, you know, I, that's where the power comes from, But it's all about them protecting their interests. And um, it's sad, but it's the reality of, you know, it's the reality of where we are at the moment and the, the kind of capitalism that's um, running amok in the game.
0: Well, we, we. I think the, the 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 breakaway clubs need to get a, a, a familiar face. And what's what's Sven doing? He'll do enough if you pay. <laughs> he'll, he'll do it if you pay him enough. Sven, what do you think of this breakaway? <laughs> I mean, we could end up, Dan. Like, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that
1: what we end up with is is a ridiculous situation where you almost have shadow clubs playing in this league. Like if if there is no other resolution, where you end up almost with new clubs being established, a bit like they've done in the cricket for the hundred, where they are not the traditional counties, they are new teams. You could end up with you know whatever Pro Evo used to call Arsenal, North London Reds, <laughs> <laughs> North London Reds, being managed by a separate manager and with a separate super squad of players who play in the in the Euro, um, European Super League. I hope-
0: I hope not gonna it's pluck not pluck beyond your, the realms of possibility. Sorry, I, I'm gonna, I was going to say, I hope they're not going to pluck out your Yan and Yen's combination from Revolution Soccer Five. <laughs> no, indeed. Um, I, I think the I, I, it's a very good point. I mean, the, the 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 one, and this is going to make me sound pathetic, but it, it's true. I don't have a team in the hundreds. If I wanted one, which I don't particularly, I, I think that's a step too far myself. You know, I, I, I don't have a team. I'm not supporting a team from Manchester because I'm not from Manchester. And yeah. I'm not just going uh, like, to attribute myself to a team in the northwest. Um, yeah, and and, it's... and I think you know,
1: I obviously, let's hope he doesn't end up there because I think that's the worst outcome for everybody. But I, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that you create these kind of shadow clubs that are affiliated with the clubs that play in the Premier League to allow them to go off and do their kind
0: thing. of like Real Madrid you know, B and Barcelona B. Yeah, yeah,
1: you know, I, it's we'll, we'll have to watch this space, but it's uh, it, it is. Concerning for football, and and ultimately, I think we are in unprecedented times to have got this far down the road.
0: Yeah, it's never got this far. There's always been talk, as as can said, and, and someone I know saying this has been talked about since 1993. Now, yeah. that's a bit before my my, my time. Certainly remembering. We well, I think parents. I think
1: 1993, if I'm
0: not wrong, was the first season of the Champions League. Yes, it
1: was. Maybe it was 92, but it was it was in that time frame. Yeah, it was when when they sort of formally renamed the European Cup.
0: Yeah, um, interesting, and and we could go on here, and you know, for, for all my joking about getting Sven involved, and th- that kind of thing it will start to happen soon. Um, again, if if you if you're from Qatar and you pay Pep Guardiola enough money, maybe he can come and get on board as well. Uh, but maybe that's just me being a bit cynical about uh, people who associate themselves with one belief and then practice another when they're paid to do so. Uh, we'll we'll move on from from the Champions League now and and the the, the the league if we still have a league tomorrow, which if you listen to Gary Neville, we're not going to. He's currently is his head's currently somewhere in orbit. Um, he's not not taking it well at all, I believe. Um, one one thing I'd like to mention is um, the proposed social media boycott from the Premier League teams. Now, I I know this is something we've discussed on this podcast before, and since then, there's been another you can't even keep I, I can't even count the number of instances and I, I, I wish no disrespect to the, the the people who've suffered this this horrific racist abuse on social media it, it's difficult to keep counting because it just seems to be the norm now i mean i know someone had a pop at trent after the um the real madrid game it it's out of control it's nice to see the teams doing something personally and I, I, I don't think it goes far. Enough. i just think that they need to come off social media permanently in order to to put a message down, and and I know Paul, this is something that you've had many dealings with, and it, it's difficult to. There's no easy solution to this.
2: Yeah, I think, um and and you know, Paul spoke very well on this 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 subject. You know, when we spoke when we covered it, unfortunately, had to cover it a few weeks ago, and you know, it was around the the lack of accountability that the the, the platforms really take over the over the content that gets posted on them, um and then until that sort of fundamental shift happens. Um, whether we win, we may not see a, you know, a, a drastic change in this. Um, you know, I, I sort of support the the protest in so much as it clearly, you know, it, it's a sort of an acknowledgement of a, of a horrible situation that, that seems to be getting worse. Um, and, I, and I hope for, for what, you know, that it does do some good, whether it will or not, I have to admit, I'm a little bit sceptical, but at least it, they're trying something. Um, but ultimately, you don't want to see... The, the, either the individual players or, or, or the clubs or whatever being being kind of forced off the platforms because then it sort of feels like that the you know the the, the the racists have won you know um so it shouldn't have to come to that and that's where unfortunately you then need the platforms to step up and and take more proactive action um to prevent people from being able to do this but that then requires some fundamental policy changes which Paul spoke about far better than I could try so I won't but um <laughs> we can always go back and listen to the one from a few weeks ago if anyone wants a breakdown of it but um <laughs> yeah I, I don't I don't see anything drastically changing in the short term um unfortunately but uh I, I do sort of wish wish the clubs and the players luck with 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 you know with with the blackout um and uh you know hope that that somehow manages to sort of change the minds of, of someone who would potentially consider posting abusive and racist messages who, and they might think twice and, and stop doing it um, but uh, yeah whether it will have a long-term effect it's it's, it's hard to say.
1: Yeah, and we've seen, haven't we, that, you know, in the last few weeks, Facebook has said, oh, they're making, you know, toughening their stance and, you know, making it easier for them to permanently ban and lock accounts and, and all this sort of stuff that we've heard before from the platforms, and I'm sure Twitter have probably said something similar, although I've not I've not seen the exact quotes. And like, the, the platforms are responsible here for doing more, and they're just not willing to, and until we make them a, uh, you know, obliged them to do it, then we're going to be in the same situation. Uh, it does seem to have increased again. I, we talked last time we had the conversation. I said I don't know if it has increased or if it's just the first time players are actually saying, "Yep, yeah, look, here's more racist abuse." I think it might have been going on for a few years, just farly, you know, far less in the public eye. Um, now players are calling it out. That's a good thing. I think the uh, the approach of a blackout to send the message, as much as anything, is is a worthwhile gesture, whether it's actually the thing that's going to make, you know, the lasting difference. I'm, I'm not convinced either. Um, but in reality, uh, clubs have got to, uh, have got to try and do something to support their players because it's becoming, you know, far, far too regular. And um, eventually, the, you know, football has to find a way of fighting back. And it's, hopefully this is, this goes some way, but I don't think it's going to be a complete solution.
0: I think I think that's it, isn't it? I, I completely agree with you, Paul. This has been going on, and even if it's not around social media, this has been going on in conversations, in pubs and places like that. You know, after a game for years, it's just that the ability to flag it has kind of, due to the kind of public eye being on, on Black Lives Matter, there's more of a platform now to say, look at what's happened to me. Again, this isn't even the first time today, for example. So there is more of a of a pla- and I, I do think that's since Black Lives Matter, it's become more of an open topic for someone to have the bravery, and that's what it is. It's brave of Tyrone Mings to talk about this. It's brave of Wilfred Zahar to to bring this up. It's brave of Ian Wright to talk about it. You know, it it's very brave of all of all these guys who are experiencing this. And they're now able to do this a lot more, in my opinion, because of the the platform that Black Lives Matter has given.
1: Indeed. And at the same time as it's brave from those people, it's complete cowardice from the complete idiots who totally. think that a football player playing badly on a Wednesday evening um, is a justification for vile um, racist abuse uh, on a social media platform. I mean, it's just again, I'm not one of these people who kind of gets all macho about this and goes, I bet they wouldn't say it to the face. Um, But, you know, I I don't think these people would behave in that way, face-to-face with another human being. Not because it's about the tough guy image, but just because I think probably the majority of them, when you put them in front of a human being, in a face-to-face situation, would react with a little bit more decency. Um, Even if they have these you know, disgusting thoughts, they would keep them to themselves. And clearly that You know, it is not happening in anywhere near the same way in social media people feel like. um, It's kind of a free-for-all, and so they'll get away with it. And so far from, you know, the one bloke we remember a couple of years ago in the front row at Chelsea screaming horrific abuse at Raheem Sterling uh, when he went to retrieve the ball for a corner, this is, you know, people hiding behind anonymity on the internet and, and thinking they can get away with saying it in a way that maybe they wouldn't have felt comfortable to join in with that Complete cretin at the front of the um, at the front of the crowd in uh, Stamford Bridge.
0: What what worries me about this, gents, is that um, the people who get spoken to, slash cautioned at best, probably or, or prosecuted sometimes, they all seem to be. Like, some of them are even under eighteen. Some are even under, under sixteen. It's it's social media is an absolute open sewer. Yeah. And I, and to just to point out the fact that I'm self-aware, I'm being a hypocrite. I'll be posting this podcast on social media.
1: Yeah, I was going to say indeed, and and we'll be uh, and we'll be advertising the, uh, the, the advertising the topic on social media as well. But I think social media is a double-edged sword, isn't it? I think we all accept that there's lots and lots of things that are really really good about it, and when used well, it can be extremely powerful and a force for good. Um, so nobody's trying to get rid of Facebook get rid of Twitter or any of those things, what we're saying is the current um, free-for-all that it can create in in, in areas like this is not acceptable. And when uh, the platforms say, well, there's nothing we can do about it, my answer is, well, yes, there is, because we do do things. You don't allow child pornography to be shared freely on Twitter. You do something about it. So there's no reason why you can't do something about racist abuse.
2: Yeah, exactly. That that's completely it, Paul. They 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 absolutely can. It's it's do they have the the inclination and and the willingness to dedicate resource to it and essentially spend some money to solve the problem, which is what they'd likely have to do. But let, you know, the, these these companies are are huge, huge companies that absolutely do have the ability to spend that money if they really wanted to. Um, you know, the, these are companies worth tens, hundreds, of billions of dollars. Um, you know th- th- there's no excuse really to, to devoting some of that uh, and what would essentially amount to a tiny fraction um to have a-, a dedicated team or to be able to improve the algorithms or whatever's needed to do it um you know it- it's absolutely possible um it's like I say it's whether they can be be willing to do it or not
0: they're not willing to put the work in basically and, and and the expense into it but i will bet you any money that their algorithm will pick up the fact that I've been talking about Sven and I'll have targeted <laughs> i'll I'll have a targeted advert for for Sven's cameo account yeah <laughs> Sven's autobiography he'll you'll, you'll, you'll be will you'll be inundated with adverts for that in the next three weeks right? a, a copy signed by farrier Allen <laughs> 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 yeah um and, 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 and uh, Ricky oh, Johnson. <laughs> and far from me to to make light of, of it. it. It's true though. They're more likely to work on their algorithms for advertising than they are to stop. Plants. Yeah. Hundred percent. It's and as as much as and as Paul rightly says, there is a viable and positive impact that social media can have, but that costs money, and therefore that kind of thing is neglected. It's just um, it infuriates me, and I, I do speak out against social media a lot. And I, I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I use it mostly to keep in touch with people and to promote this podcast and my books, Mother Russia and Defcon One, which you can buy on our favourite website, Amazon. Um, you know, I, I, I do I, I do use it to promote myself. That's about it, really, and to complain about Super League referees. Rugby League, Super League referees, not, not, not Super League referees. I'll get on to them eventually if the Super League <laughs> yeah, comes in. Yeah, yeah, It won't take you long, Dan, if we get a Super League for you to complain about the referees. Well, when, when, when when Klats comes back to be the head referee... Well, indeed, I was just I was just going to say, this is Klats' ideal stage, isn't it? Klats is a gun for hire. We'll, we'll get Bobby <laughs> Madley back, promote him a couple of levels... <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I think the, I think there might
0: be reasons why we won't do that. <laughs> yeah, there might be several reasons why we won't be doing that. But um, we'll, we'll we'll move on. It, it's actually a, a very nice uh, segue to our next topic, which is I wanted to talk about the future of VAR. Now, if this podcast was recorded last week, we were worried before we were bo- we were all busy last week really that there wasn't much to talk about apart from VAR because we had comedy. In- it's not. It, it's kind of funny. West Brom won in the end, so it didn't cost them. But we we had comedy incidents like lines being drawn off the wrong people. It was just a fiasco yeah. last week. VAR had its worst ever weekend. I don't believe there's been too many controversial incidents this weekend so far. Um, uh, there's a couple of decent uses of it. Um, I, th- I thought that the I don't like it when the protractors come out. But the the the, uh, the Ch- Danny Cibalar's goal before was offside. Um, it was. By, by, the, by the way that they've refereed the games all season, and I've talked before
1: about am I don't think the protractor line should come out of it. It's not clear and obvious when you put the thick line off the feet. Then, as far as I'm concerned, they should just Agreed. they should just stick with with Wilts yeah. on the pitch. But at the same time, the way they've refereed it all season, it was entirely consistent. His big toe, Saka's big toe was offside in the build up, uh, uh, and it was offside, and the right decision was made. I think they got the penalty decision for Fulham right as well. I think the guy made an absolute meal of the fling to the floor. But, but he was but, his toe was stood on. Yeah, um, Gabriel trodden his toe, uh, having sort of had a bit of a lunge at the ball. And then uh, I don't know quite why they looked at Arsenal's equaliser as many times as they did, because it seemed pretty apparent straight away to me that uh, holding wasn't in any way interfering with the play. Um, I think, again, that that was an example where they got the right outcome, but they seem to take a little bit too long to get there. It doesn't and take two hours ni- to make that decision. No, wh- when it's a 96-minute equaliser, that point about it kind of playing with the emotions of fans and players and managers, poor old Scott Parker, that 35, 40 seconds when they looked three times at where holding the standing must have felt like, you know, the longest 40 seconds of his life. I think there is a point there that we've talked about before about getting to decisions quicker, but I think in the Arsenal Fulham game today, they used it three times and ultimately they, they got all three right. Um, the one last week that I just thought was absolutely scandalous was the disallowed Manchester United goal at Tottenham. Oh yeah, I'm not that was saying it because well. he, he was against Tottenham, but um, psh, if we're gonna if we're gonna call goals back for that based on VAR, um, McTominay was already past Son. He was already past Son, and he sort of flung his arm up to protect himself, and he he kind of got a pinky finger in Son's face just below the eye. If we are gonna bring play back for that and say that that's a foul, and the goal needs to be disallowed, we're in really, really difficult territory. And And then we had the shambles at West Brom. It was a really, really bad weekend for the ball last weekend.
0: And, Can, just to to ask Can, were you worried... Who was the referee? I can't remember. Was it Mr Kavanagh? I can't can't remember who was... Were you worried that the idiot with the whistle was going to look at the screen and go, second, yellow card... Because I, 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 I would have been... Yeah, uh,
2: do you know what? At the time, until you actually... I think until you messaged me and asked me that, and actually it got mentioned on the commentary as well, I hadn't actually thought of that. As soon as I saw that the ref, whoever it was, was was going to look at it straight away, I knew it was going to be chalked off because I just knew that there was no way in the current climate that a ref was going to look at that and think, oh, OK, I'll, I'll give the goal. I, I knew it was going to be uh, disallowed as soon as they went to look at the screen. I hadn't considered about the card elements um until it got mentioned on, on the commentary and, and and by yourself but th- thankfully they didn't go that far um but uh yeah i mean it is you know you you've covered it <laughs> you've covered it pretty well really i don't do not a point i want to i want to, to revisit too much um but uh yeah i think um and, and then actually the, the sort of pundits in the studio and in that game you know i think spoke quite quite well on it as well that we are on a you know a, a slippery steep slippery slope with it and it does it does need to be sorted out and i, I think it's just the, the the time taken is is ridiculous and the sort of detail they go into on every minute you know as you mentioned the the, the protractors as as we call them it is it is ridiculous it just it just doesn't seem i think it's not what was it's not what was sold to us as fans, if you like. Yeah, you know, I think agree. If people you know, I think that's that's where where most people's frustration from it comes from, that it's going down to the the nth degree. I think what most people thought, you know, and the terms clear and obvious were used for this, that it'll be a a video, you know, a quick video sanity check so that if so to stop a refing blunder. Whereas now it's becoming, you know, just this this literal pinpoint movement of every part of a player's body and it's just you know, it's just ridiculous, and it, it's just making people, you know, just sort will of fall out of love with the game, really, if you can if you can say that 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 far. Um, so yeah, I mean, Paul, you, you seem to have your ear to the ground for, for for what's what's likely to actually happen. I don't know if there are plans to seriously look at it um or, or not, or if we're just going to have another season of of this. But um yeah, it just seems to be driving more and more people. And of course, again, the, the, the one interesting thing is, of course, there haven't been fans in the stadiums this season either so it will be very interesting to see i know obviously we have had var with fans in the stadiums before but it seems like it's gone more ridiculous in the year that we've not had fans in there so it would be interesting to see if they keep their current policies you know how uh you know how sort of 40 50, people in a in a premier league stadium will will react to uh you know to the way it's being used
0: Cam, that's a brilliant point because there's no way some of those decisions get given in a full stadium. Mm. And one of the biggest problems I have with VAR is as a match-going fan, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's being checked. All I hear are the words, VAR review, and then I see on the screen, possible penalty or red card check. And that's all I hear. I, I don't see anything. And um, they won't replay the screen. They won't replay it on, on a screen because of it, 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 worry that it could prejudice the rest of the game. And of and, and course... Like fan trouble, and I've never bought into that until this season when we've seen some of the, the most bizarre, granular, you know, like almost subatomic decisions. <laughs> you know, like, based on that that kind of measurement, you know, like we're we talking like I mean, I I could I, I've got a, a, a very very detailed big black book as you all know, um, with the, the grievances that I have, but I've I've kind of stopped counting this season because it's not just us, everyone is getting it because VAR is a bit of a mess. Um, you, you talked about a steep, slippery slope, Cam, um, And we were going over to you, Paul, before I interrupted, sorry for doing so. Um, is it time that we jumped off that slope? I mean, first thing we should do is throw Mike Riley off it head first. <laughs> so
1: I don't have any sense that they're going to move on from VAR I think it is here to stay Um, I would be surprised it's certainly here to stay for next season I'm almost certain there will be a meeting of the officials in the summer, as there always is, and they will go back and they will look at decisions and they'll think about things that should have been called differently and think about decisions that should have stayed on the field and there'll be another set of guidance because you know that these things can always be solved by issuing yet more guidance. Um, (laughs) And and they'll change the interpretation of a few things and then the the governing body who who affects the laws from from FIFA will have a go. And then we'll start next (laughs) season and they'll be consistent for about the first four or five weeks and you'll think OK, I don't necessarily like some of these rules, but at least I understand them. Like we had the handball rule that started this year, where they were calling it far too strictly. But at least you knew what was handball and what wasn't. Um, pretty much everything was. And then within <laughs> you know within six weeks, he decided to start U-turning and more clarificatory guidance. And I just feel like we're, we're bound to be stuck in some sort of VAR mess again next year. My hope with it, and and I've been pretty consistent throughout. I think we need to get back as a more core principle to clear and obvious. I just think that the the idea behind Vor was that you can't carry on with the absolute clangers, and I and think, they are clangers, and there are some you know there are still some clanger decisions out there that Vor overturns. You know the the one in the Burnley Arsenal game the other week where uh, the ref gave Arsenal a penalty and sent Eric Eric Peters off for handball on the line when he hadn't handballed it. You know, it, it, you know, it hadn't hit his hands. Um, I think those sorts of clangers VAR absolutely has a place. I just think we're using it far too strictly for far too much, getting silly little protractor lines out. Um. You know, reviewing a million times. The point on the when the ref goes to the monitor, I can only remember once a year that a ref's gone to a monitor and stuck with his decision. I, Going to a monitor just seems like a fig
0: leaf for overturning the decision.
1: I remember. Oh, well, I went couple. and looked at it again. You uh, think it's been a couple, do yeah, you?
0: Yeah, and I, 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 I'll tell you one for a fact. Andre Mariner was told to go and look, by, look at a, full, a possible Fulham penalty by Lee Mason, and I think it was December. For a a, a, a Fabinio tackle, which kind of divided opinion, I could see why people might think it was a penalty, but I thought he got the ball. It was a good tackle, and um, he went over to check the screen, and he, he stuck with his on-field decision. Yeah, there've been a couple, maybe maybe more than one. Then there've been there've been a couple, but generally no more, no more than five, I would guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very very few, and I think I think that bit frustrates people as well because
2: what
0: you know.
1: I want refs going and looking at the screen where it's where it's really, really tricky. But I want them to have the confidence in themselves to say, I've looked at that on the screen, mate. You know, Lee Mason or whoever it is who sent me over <laughs> here. And I can't see what you can see, so I'm going to stick with my decision. Um, anyway, there we are. I, I, I don't sense we're moving on from VAR. I think it's here to stay at least for another 12 months. There'll probably be some tweaks, but I think we'll probably have another season of VAR fun. I think the one interesting thing, Dan, I remember when the debate Talking about debates that have been around forever, the technology and football debate in the '90s, uh, and and I remember one of the arguments that was used against it was, "What will people have to debate in the pubs after the game if you put got rid of, <laughs> you know, all the refereeing clangers?" And uh, I think that argument's been well and truly trashed because we now I, debate
0: all the VAR clangers. I think I think the kids would say, "Challenge accepted," or "Hold my beer." Yeah. And uh, yeah, <laughs> v- v- VAR has, has done that successfully. I-, I think I could accept it more as a match going fan, as, as all three of us are. I could accept it a lot more if I knew what was going on because I, I just see VAR check handball and I'm like, what are we checking? Who- who's the hand- handball by? You know, I-, I just, there's not enough information for the match going fan. And I really do think the way that they could do it is to have the VAR referee explaining his rationale. Now, that would not work in a stadium. It would work on a TV. BT and Sky would love that. They would ref cam, ref mic. I mean, yeah. th- th- I mean, th- th- they try and do that anywhere when there's a discussion between a liner and a referee. You can see the cameraman sneaking forwards on his tiptoes, getting closer and closer with the microphone, trying to see what's happening. I remember the, uh, when Tottenham got that ridiculous penalty at Anfield a few years ago uh, in the last 10 minutes of the game when it all went a bit... Bananas and um, I can't remember. I can't remember who the rest. It was Mister Moss, I think. Uh, He decided he was given a penalty, and the the conversation was recorded by the cameras, and it was quite interesting. Although I vehemently disagreed with the outcome, but the the, the outcome was a penalty to Tottenham, so I was going to disagree with him at some point, probably. And yeah, yeah, I I I think it's a good point, Dan. More more information.
1: we do it in the cricket, don't we? You, you, if you're a TV viewer in the cricket, you can hear the yeah, third umpire.
0: Yeah, and uh, like, when uh, in the Super League, it doesn't happen. When the BBC saw Challenge Cup games, the video referee talks through his decision. So he'll say, OK, there's clear separation there, move it forward a frame. Yeah, I'm happy that's a knock-on. Now, yeah. I don't always agree with the decisions that are given, and the same goes for cricket. You're know, like yeah. sometimes you're watching it and you're like I don't understand where the umpire is coming from here. And far from it for me to question an umpire's decision as a a cricket player myself. You know you I want to to get people the, the wrong idea about me as a cricketer. Sometimes I watch it and think I don't know what he's talking about. I don't understand his perspective. I don't understand what he's even thinking of. And we, we've seen that, but we've also seen. Mull- Mullerithum take five wickets in an innings that have all been no balls. <laughs> I remember that a, a series as the late nineties where that happened. You know, it it's, it works in cricket and it, it works to an extent in Super League. Again, rugby league not the up, not the upcoming um, Super <laughs> League. So yeah, there's, there's there's questions here. It does work in other sports, and why doesn't it work as well in football? I, I think it's the na- lack of natural breaks that we have in football. And the fact that we've got a stone cold, primordial soup of terrible referees, but that's a, a subject for another podcast and could indeed be a, a topic for a, a single podcast. So I think we'll we'll leave it there unless there's any more any more to add from either of you.
1: No, not nothing on that, Dan. Yeah, well, well covered, I
2: think.
0: Um, anything else catch you your eye this weekend? Certainly, uh, a certain team in uh, horwich that plays in white with blue shoulders made a right mess of things at the weekend they could have had one hand on promotion um we're getting close uh obviously sheffield united dropped out but we've been expecting that probably since september to be honest um yeah the, the, we're, we're really hotting up in, in the promotion and relegation races now any results catch either of your eyes I mean, not in the promotion and relegation races, Dan,
1: but we should probably just touch on the quadruple dream being over. Um, Manchester City, and I mean, it was a dreadful game yesterday. I've got this second semi-final on in the background. It's not much better. Uh, it's played at such a horribly slow, walking pace tempo. Um, and not an attractive game for a neutral at all, but Chelsea had a very good game plan. Neutralised Man City probably deserved their win in it, and in it, as I say, a very, very poor game. Um, I always thought the quadruple was probably unlikely for Man City. It's just a big ask. Um, it seems impossible to me. Yeah, it's just a big, big ask, and uh, you know you've got to be at it. You've got to not lose players to injury. Obviously, you saw De Bruyne go off yesterday, and um, it, it's a real, real challenge for it. They had to go and play, obviously. a, a really tough game in midweek against Dortmund and then come on the back of that and try and win a semi-final against Chelsea. And I think you'd need a lot of luck with draws. You know, you'd, you'd need to never end up in a situation where you're playing a big Champions League game and then you've got a massive FA Cup knockout. Uh, and um, yeah, I think, I think it probably, probably is the case now that um Manchester City's season really as bizarre as it sounds, and Pep's alluded to, him to himself, comes down to whether they win the Champions League or not. They're going to win the Premier League, they've won the League Cup, and if they're the two trophies that <laughs> they finish the season with, everyone will go, oh well, they've just won the Champions League and
0: the League Cup again. An and, and arbitrary denunciation of Tottenham's chances next Sunday then.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, well, yes, yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, uh, they haven't technically won the league club uh league cup you are you're right dan um but they 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 are going to aren't they i mean they won't play as badly as they played yesterday
0: again uh it, 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 it's one of those
1: and he's... harry kane harry kane's not gonna be fit is he, he look he looked like he was struggling when he come off the other night uh,
0: he'll find a way to be fit he always manages to find a way to be fit he's never fit when he does his ankles because he has ankle problems but he'll 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 get through that game somehow i'm sure um and it might be as ineffective as he was in Madrid a couple of years ago when he clearly wasn't fit, but um, yeah, there we go. Um, anything else, gents, or are we, uh, are we done? Are we uh, looking forward to watching Sven flanked by Owen Hargreaves and Darius Vassell to deliver us this uh, image of a new Super League?
2: <laughs> no, I think the only thing I was going to uh, touch on is, uh, as we've kind of got close to, to mentioning just around this there's, there's potential for sort of all English clubs or all Premier League clubs in, uh, you know, in both the, the Europa and um, Champions leagues, uh, whether that's of any particular interest. <laughs> we'll it's a, particu- it's, it's um, a
0: particular concern. Yeah. So City I, could City could play Chelsea in the final, could they? Is that the way that draw works? I, I thought they'd drawn each other. I, I thought they were the I, I, unless I'm mistaken. I thought that was the semi-finals. I thought it was Chelsea against Real Madrid and Man City against PSG. I, I, may, yeah. I, may, I may be horribly mistaken.
1: Yeah. So, so, so they could meet in the final.
0: All right, I've, I've, I've got it wrong then.
2: Uh, yeah. Sorry. yeah, So it's 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 Chelsea Madrid um, and PSG City, isn't it? So that that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so if they both win, that that will be the final.
0: I mean, I've got concerns about this from two fronts. Number one, I never like to see other English teams do well because I'm selfish. And number two, there's a situation that could brew where Arsenal get in the Champions League because they win um, the Europa League, and Liverpool don't. And um, I didn't think I didn't think that could happen now, Dan. I thought the Europa League was was an additional place. I, you, you can have five, but not six. But yeah there's a situation that can happen where Liverpool finish fourth and don't oh, so so there's a situation
1: where Liverpool are fourth Chelsea are fifth and they're in yeah because they win the Champions League yeah and Arsenal finish eighth but win the Europa League, which is an automatic place. Yeah. So in that scenario, Liverpool would miss out if they finish fourth. Eurovision.
0: Yes, that, that, that is, is oh, a, that is a concern. So can we can we get Sevilla back in the Europa League as soon as possible, please? <laughs> like, well, they made but, the mistake of making the last sixteen in the Champions League this year. They won't do that again. <laughs> yeah, c- can they cash in the money in the bank briefcase or something <laughs> on on the uh, the Europa League? It, it, it's a concern. It is a concern to me, not as a, uh, as. I mean, Liverpool might not finish in the top four, and it's irrelevant anyway. But I, I, I don't want the season to end with Liverpool scraping fourth on the last day, and then we're suddenly usurped by Arsenal and or Chelsea.
2: Yeah, I think speaking of money in briefcases, though, Dan. All I was going to say is those, those it's a rum bunch in, uh, in that in that, particularly in, you know, in that Champions League um semi final group you know such sort of Chelsea <laughs> PS you know it comes to something when Real Madrid are probably the team of most integrity <laughs> out of it's it's a bit it's a bit grim but, it comes uh, to but something where i wish want them to all see well
0: <laughs> it, it, it comes to something when i would I'd rather see Sergio Ramos with another Champions League than any of the yeah. other alternatives
2: yeah exactly
1: uh, and i think i think i think on the Europa League um neither of them have got easy games i think Roma and Villarreal are both tricky they're both tricky ties where you know, United and Arsenal will need to play well in both games. They can't do this thing that they've both had a habit of doing, which is kind of playing well in one of their two legs and that being enough to make sure that they're definitely through. Um, Mm. uh, they'll both need to play well in both legs, but I would think if they both perform in the way that they're capable of, and obviously certainly Man United have shown for most of the season, they're capable of Arsenal a bit more sporadically. Um, then they would both be through. All into English. Their, it's an
0: all-English. I, I know neither of you two will say it, um, but <laughs> I'll say it. it's an all-English final. Yeah, well, it's just the, the idea that Unai Emery could knock
1: Arsenal out is just too much of a story, I think. I, I'd rather avoid that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would be the thing worrying me in, in your position as well. So yeah. Um, Although, but, if we do make the
1: final, um, Arteta two wins and a draw against Solskjaer in three meetings. Um, so, I'd, I'd
2: quite fancy that as a contest anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, like we we don't have a great record against Arsenal recently. We struggle to score against you. So if we want to win it, we'll have to do. So. Even if it's a penalty, we'll have to we'll have to figure out how to actually uh, score a goal. Because yeah, we talked about you know United's record against the sort of and I know Arsenal aren't probably big six this season, but the sort of bigger games, you know, yeah. we, we do we often don't don't fail to score in, and either sort of get a nil nil draw or we lose the game um so but obviously a, a final is a bit different and um yeah we'll have to wait and see so i th- i think both teams if it, if if it did and you know like i say they've they've got tricky ties to overcome but if if it did come to a scenario where it's you know arsenal united i think both teams would have reasons where they could rightfully fancy it against the other but it will it will be a very interesting game to see it to see it play out um,
0: well, that would be in stark but, con- contrast to the other two games between United and Arsenal this season, can about which was very little interest in. No,
2: well, this is it, yeah, and and obviously finals sometimes uh, can be a bit bit sort of handbrake on safety first as well. So whether we see how the teams uh, see how the teams approach it if they did get there, um, and obviously
1: it would yes, be a free shot for United, though, wouldn't it? Because they're in the Champions League next, mm-hmm. season. it's a free shot yeah. for them, and that there, might there's help. There's a lot more yeah, on the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, when I think back to the same situation a couple of years ago, it definitely benefited Chelsea that they were just playing and enjoying and trying to win a cup. Um, and, and Arsenal, their whole sort of season ended up riding on on those ninety minutes,
0: uh, and it
1: was probably quite symptomatic of the season that we got beat four um, nil. I, I can't imagine we'd lose four nil in the final this year, but but let's try and get there first.
0: And we we'll, we'll, and. and... In light of this conversation, we've just spent the last ten minutes on. I look forward to the Villarreal against Roma final, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, um, and, and the and the and the and uh, the the PSG against Real Madrid final as well. But I, I, I will certainly take that at this point. Um, and was it was it was that the
1: same year as Liverpool played Spurs? It was, wasn't it? The Arsenal played Chelsea. I yeah, think that was the same in, year. English football. So it would be the completely. second time. The second time in. Three seasons, which again, obviously, for the Premier League, you might see as a positive, but for European football as a whole, it's not great. If twice in three years you've had all four finalists in the two competitions being English,
0: yeah, no. And
2: I, I was I was thinking about this this earlier actually, um, and and it's sort of when you think of the money spent, you know, the wealth of the of, of the leagues and the money spent by, well, you know, Spurs, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City. And so on a Man United, you know, it's like, well, technically they should be getting there, you know, if you think of it that way, because they have way more money than than, the, than their Europe, you know, their sort of Spanish, Italian and German counterparts. So it's, as you say, it isn't great for, for Europe. And I think that's sort of partly why there's this kind of huge standoff, you know, going back to the topic earlier, it's, it's sort of linked that, you know, UEFA have realized they've created a monster and are trying to address that. But the monster's saying, well, no, we quite like it. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's all, it's all linked, um, to what we we're talking about before about how the, you know, the sort of money has been becoming concentrated in you know, in fewer and fewer clubs. Um, and as a result, it, it, it's actually not surprising that the same teams are sort of popping up there. And, um, the Premier League does have an advantage because it just has far more revenue. Um, you know, Premier League clubs have far more revenue, particularly the big ones. So it's, you know, technically, yeah, if you look at the financial side of things, you say, well, actually it's, a, it's a bit of a failure if those teams aren't getting to the, you know, the business end of these competitions.
0: Yep, yeah, very much so. Um, I think we're, we're as well leaving it there. It's been a good long discussion as, as I was expecting, uh, dominated by the European Super League. Um So we'll leave it there. Uh, remind that you can catch the Big Football Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music. You can, give us a subscribe and you'll automatically receive every podcast which we do most weeks i can't say weekly at the moment we're not in a good runner form for weekly content but <laughs> we're, we're, we, we can guarantee regular output and with that uh, paul cam thank you very much for a fascinating discussion and we'll catch you all again after a while